This is another bottle down on Co-op Radio, KOOP Hornsby, Austin, 91.7 FM, and KOOP.org. I'm your host, Mark Rayshap, here to appreciate wines from all over the world and to talk with Austin's leading wine professionals, from winemaker to sommelier and everyone in between. Now it's time to put another bottle down. Good afternoon, Austin. Wonderful to have you here with us. Tuesday afternoon, 1 o'clock in the capital city, 102 in the capital city, and we've got a great show for you. We have in the house uh, Michelle Thibault and Marlo Norman, who are a wonderful husband-wife team in the online retail world and Bordeaux experts, French wine experts, and they've got a lot going on uh, with travel, with uh, with bringing in really cool wines in uh, from Bordeaux and from France and from all over the world uh, to our town. Texas and, and the U.S. marketplace, and I'm really looking forward to get to know them and and hear all that they have going on. Uh, I do want to first mention bef- uh, some co-op uh, business. It is with such a heavy heart that we have lost somebody from our co-op community, a really beloved person. Stephen Rice, as uh, many of you know, um, is was the host of Outcast tonight at 6 p.m., and we uh, lost him way too soon. He passed away. Um, it was an accident and then very unexpected. Uh, please tune in to Outcast tonight at 6 p.m., uh, there is going to be an incredible tribute to him with all of his co-hosts and loved ones. And so for more information, uh, definitely check that out. Check out the co-op webpage, koop.org. Um, we will really miss him. Okay, well, um, with that said, I, 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 let's, let's uh, think of a, a, a more positive note. I know Stephen would like us to do so. Um, wine brings people together. Uh, it, it, it makes us appreciate the real positive things in life, the, our loved ones and uh, wonderful experiences of travel and all of that. So I'm really, really happy to introduce to the co-op studios, Michelle Thibault and, uh, and Marla Norman. So welcome to the show. So I'd like to start off the conversation by talking about um, uh, first your website and, and how it's kind of the nexus of, of what you do in terms of education and in terms of bringing very interesting wines uh, into the U.S. So uh, if folks want to follow along, it's uh, MichelTheBowWine.com, right? Correct. It's Michel Thibault Wine. It's, uh, the website is actually um, it's fairly new. Um, but and it focuses, as you said, on on Bordeaux wines, um, Burgundy to some extent, a little less California and, and Italian wines. But it's primarily uh, it, it's twofold. It's uh, both a sales tool for us and an educational tool. Uh, and uh, we'll discuss that a little more. But it's a uh, uh, please look at it, MichelTibaultWine.com. There's a lot of cool pictures that Marla has taken, and it'll kind of take you into the heart of wine country. Yes. Uh, so uh, clearly, like you mentioned, French wine is maybe a passion of yours, and uh, French wine factors into a very, very, very prominent place in the web in the website, right? It, it is. Uh, we uh, first we we lived Marla and I lived in Bordeaux for uh, for quite a long time. So so we've established relationships there. We uh, um, uh, you know we may be biased, but we think this is probably uh, the finest area for wines in the world, if not one of the top three. 
and uh, and we have personal relationships there. So so we uh, we we like the idea of spreading the word about Bordeaux. And and so you're you don't have a physical location. So you're an online retailer, right? Does that give you certain uh, certain uh, flexibility or a certain advantage over some of our brick and mortar retailers? Well, uh, we we do have a location. We have a warehouse as, as per the law, but we we are not open to the public. No, right, we cannot right. be. So the advantage is that, uh, of course, we have a less cost associated with uh, with our business. The disadvantage is we have less visibility. I mean, you have to uh, be uh, check. You have to be on the computer to see what's going on versus you know having a store where people can walk in. Yeah. And then you uh, have a, p- place a lot of value in your clientele, your email list, and you sell, as I understand it, most of uh, the wine before it actually hits the the, the, the Texas soil. Uh, and does that get that that must give you kind of some flexibility with uh, what you do and and knowing and tapping into what your customers really uh, are looking for gives you a, a big advantage where you're not sitting on a lot of inventory, right? That's exactly. Right. I mean, that, that was the, the, our, our business model. When we started, we, we, wanted to, uh, uh, we wanted to first find out what our clients uh, were interested in. And so we offered them lists of wines that were available um, in those countries. Uh, and not only available just to, to purchase, but also where the provenance was secure. Where they, they knew they could buy wine from an actual producer or from a negociant not from some kind of auction house or whatnot. Uh, uh, the second aspect, of course, is, as you say, we, uh, we tried to pre-sell the wine, so we offered the most competitive prices, and then we pre-sold the wine, and we found out that the, the website was important, but more important than the website is, is our customer list. That is our jewel. That is because we have personal relationships with these people, and, and we can say, hey, you know, we've got this great wine, and, and so we can sell it to them. Yeah. Marla, I might bring you in here and, and talk about how kind of there's an education piece to the website, and you do most of the writing for the blog, and what you think about how does uh, the stories interweave with, uh, with what wines, what people are looking for, and maybe new trends in wine or certain things that come up. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, a lot of a lot of the the blog pieces have recently centered around winemakers. I mean, we're really fortunate to encounter some amazing personalities and some of the stars really in the wine world, particularly in in uh, Bordeaux and, and France. So, so we try to introduce our customers to to those those people and and talk about their techniques, their innovations, their passion, and, you know, to give them additional insight into the, you know, the wines that they're drinking and enjoying, so. Right, so, the stories behind mm-hmm, the wine. The story behind the scenes, right. And there, there's so much good wine out there that it's, it's worth really knowing about the people behind the wine. And, exactly, uh, and, yeah. And that's what I tried to, to do here on the show every week, and uh, what your blog is really, I think, doing a really wonderful job highlighting, and not just winemakers, too. You have a, a spot about um, about some wine importers as well or some pr- other mm-hmm. prominent wine people right, in, in the right we're currently we're running a feature on uh, Martine Saunier we were just so fortunate to bump into her when we were in San Francisco recently and she has produced uh, she and, and uh, David Kennard uh, the, the, tri- the wine trilogy that 
probably many people have seen the a urine burgundy, a urine champagne, and last year they came out with a urine port. So we're uh, and we're big fans of the films, and uh, as many people are, and, and it's just fun to hear how you know all the stories and difficulties and uh, labor involved in, in bringing that to fruition through film. So yeah, uh, and they interview some amazing uh, winemakers as well. So, yeah. And then you also, if you know what we're talking about, the, the different facets of what you're doing in the wine industry, you've got the online retailer, uh, you've got the, the blog, and then you are also uh, doing travel with, with customers, right? Can you tell us? A- on, on trips, uh, correct. Yeah, we're, uh, again, uh, thanks to our contacts, we're able to take our customers into first growth properties, you know, Chateau Magot, Lafitte, uh, Mouton Rothschild. Yeah, it's the, the wine trip of a lifetime, right? Yeah. Truly, truly. <laughs> and uh, same thing in, in Burgundy and, and Champagne. So, I mean, these are places they could never... Right, that they don't do appointments. I mean, you inaccessible can't to the public, in, right? right? Exactly. So, we do that. We pick them up in Paris, typically. We drive them or accompany them on the TGV, the fast trains uh, to Bordeaux. Or uh, we do, uh, uh, we go to museums with them. We book their hotels. We book their restaurants. Right. I mean, everything is taken care of. All they have to do is sit back, relax, drink the wine, and <laughs> learn learn a little something along the way. Enjoy mm. the gorgeous French uh, cuisine and scenery. Right, and you have you have some pictures and experiences posted on that website. Uh, we on the the Travel Curious Often has is sort of the complement to the Michel Thibault wine site, and that's right. all the. The touristy stuff, yeah, and uh, and Michelle also writes for that, so there you know you can take like a little, you know, wine tour with him, and and then back on the the Michelle Thibault wine, you have uh, the the store, of course, right, and, yeah, right. So. Can we? Um, so I, I want to get also into your past and and your passion and how how you got to this point, but can we uh, talk about? We've touched on some pieces about French wine. Uh, but can I have you elaborate a little bit more as to what really draws you to French wine in general, and then maybe we can hone in on on your favorite regions? Uh, well, you know, the uh, um, obviously um, I'm proud of being French, and so <laughs> I, um, and so um, I want to highlight those products. And uh, um, historically, it's been difficult. Uh, uh, both because uh, uh, at one point or another, a lot of French wines that were coming into this country were of fairly poor quality, and also because of all of the political uh, activity that's been going on for a number of years. So, um, so in fact, uh, uh, I've, I've found it uh, my message to uh, to show the, the quality of some of these wines, and particularly in the past few years, where I feel like there's been some kind of a Revolution in in France in areas like primarily like Bordeaux, where where the winemakers have uh, uh, have really uh, taken to heart to to be innovative to uh, to do things that uh, that are different and that uh, where most American consumers of Bordeaux are not familiar with. 
Yeah. I think there is that concept that since it's French, it must be old school and there's not technology that is being introduced uh, and, and used to make the wine and there's not modern wine and it has to sit in a cellar for 20 years, etc. That's exactly right. It's, and it's totally, it's totally wrong. It, it's it's a, completely wrong. It's a, it's a, uh, you know, for example, if you're, um, uh, um, if you're in, uh, in Pomerol, um, at Chateau Clinet, uh, um, uh, where in the past uh, uh, Merlot and Cabernet Franc were primarily the, the, the two varietals, uh, Ronan, the owner, is bringing in Cabernet Sauvignon. He finds that the wine gives uh, has a little more structure, so th- so he's uh, headed that direction. Next door to him is uh, 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 Chateau Clos l'Église, and the owner there, uh, a nice gentleman named Patrice Lévesque, what he likes to do is to pick his grapes just a, a little less ripe than others. He wants to have the tension that everyone is talking about now that's a super important. He doesn't want to make a wine that's round and rich and ripe. He wants that tension. Yeah, and so there's a myriad of styles, and Bordeaux is just not one thing, right? And, and that's, that, that's very difficult for consumers to kind of grasp. So, so when something's difficult, you might try to focus on, oh, well, this other thing, maybe California wine, is a little bit easier to understand, so I'll just stay there in that space. Correct. Well, first, you know, there's, a, there's the old adage, you know, uh, with everyone in the wine business, it's like, a, you know, the left bank in Bordeaux is Cabernet Sauvignon, the right bank is Merlot and Cabernet Franc. Uh, well, it's a very naive way of thinking, there is so much more involved with that, and within a region like the Medoc, there, as you well know, there's so many d- different sub-regions. But uh, but the second aspect you were discussing, the uh, the idea of uh, of uh, of going to Bordeaux and uh, and uh, being a little afraid of Bordeaux because uh, because you don't understand the names because they're foreign to you, or because the lay of the land is is a little bit strange as well. Um, that's what during our trips, when we take people on trips, that's what we we try to impart to people. This is um, this area is the way it is because of the geography or because of the history or whatnot. Right, right, and um, and so is it. So what what styles do you like? What what gravitates? Do you like that? power of Bordeaux, because uh, perhaps Bordeaux could be thought of as some of the most, you know, powerful Cabernet Sauvignon and structured, uh, or do you like more of that elegant uh, tension, and, and where do you think, and, and is Bordeaux just a myriad of, of discussions right now, or do you think that there is a, a trend to go in a particular way? Uh, there's no trend, there's a, everyone's going their own direction, but certainly, to me, uh, purity and precision are what I'm looking for. I like some heavier wines, and um, while I also like some some lighter style, so it, it's not really it's a matter of a mood for me, uh, but uh, but but it's just like uh, you know I often compare it, and people laugh about it, but I often compare it to cars. You know, you can take a regular Chevy and go from point A to point B and and be fine with it, <laughs> but if you ride in a Lexus. You can uh, you can feel uh, the difference. You can feel the workmanship. You can feel the quality, and and so in a, a, a f- for me the quality about some of the good Bordeaux is to to find out how the thought process behind the winemaker's experience into making a, a fabulous wine. So whether they're lighter uh, or fuller bodied, it, to me it's just you know how well made is, is this wine. Yeah. And then the, as you're mentioning, in the time that you've been following Bordeaux, and when, what years did you live there? 
Uh, well, we were here. We were there in the '95, which is actually an exceptional vintage. Excellent so vintage, yeah. so we, we spent quite a few months there. <laughs> and and then um, and so have you seen the the quality kind of improve? I mean, we've we've been mentioning this old school, uh, to, and then and then that a lot of producers are modernizing. But have you seen that on the front lines? And you go to Ampremier, which we're going to talk about in in a little bit. But um, the, just the quality is 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 changing, right? Oh, enormous. I mean, you know, obviously everyone's seen the movies where, with the, uh, the, the, the Paris tasting and whatnot, where essentially what you had in the 70s were a lot of uh, negociants who were still ruling the, uh, the Bordeaux wine business and who, um, who um, put out fairly low quality wines and they were fine with it. Uh, money was the, the, the driving force. And then the Americans came and kicked their butts, <laughs> and it was uh, it, it was the best thing that could happen to them because uh, because now you have a lot of uh, young winemakers, um, you have a lot of people who are just totally uh, focused on quality, and who put out products that I think are are superior for them for for the price they cost. And so I want to also talk about this space. You have the iconic wines, you know that I think the f that folks think of that are uh, super famous and incredibly expensive um, but there's also this more approachable tier uh, of, of wineries that are not so well known that might offer incredible uh, quality and be very accessible is, is that do you do you are you excited by that tier or are you all about kind of the icon properties no I actually you know our big concern and you know I was in retail for a long time so our big concern was always that if people wanted Bordeaux, then it really started at 40 bucks. And, and in fact, you know, uh, that's not the way to go. I mean, uh, you as a young person walking into the store, uh, your budget is likely not to be $40 for a bottle of wine. So, you, uh, uh, so generally you stayed away from Bordeaux, you bought Malbecs or you bought whatever, that was something that was cheaper. And, uh, but that layer of quality wine uh, that is at $15, $20 does exist in Bordeaux. Right. And um, uh, again, it's, it's a matter of now of having producers from Bordeaux come to the States and come to, to, to do tastings and, and to, uh, uh, to show their wines to people like you, to show the, the, that quality level. And we, we always complain, as importers, we always complain about that, that the wines that are showed in, in the States as $15 Bordeaux are usually crappy. And there, but it's it's unfortunate because the uh, the, the quality level should, is there. Right. What do you say to folks? I, I inevitably get so many people who say, "Okay, I was in France, and you know the the cheap the the, the most inexpensive wine was still excellent excellent quality," and um, and then you come here, and then uh, everything is lesser quality for more expensive. I mean, from you being on the importer side. Is that just an effect of oh I was over there and I was on vacation or is and, and I was having a great time and everything tasted wonderful which I think is a big piece of that or um, is the everyday table wine in France just a higher quality than what you can get here because I feel like that's a, a big reason why people go to California for right. wine well there's a, uh, there's a little bit of both I mean you're both in uh, you're right in both uh, answers the uh, um uh, unfortunately, a lot of the uh, business here for Bordeaux uh, at the low end is driven by profits, and so a lot of the wines that are brought into this country are a fairly poor quality, 
and uh, um, it would behoove us, people like us, importers, to, to bring better quality wines for the same price. I mean, in the end, it does it does nobody it, it doesn't do a favor to anyone because really, you as a young man again, if you were turned on to a wine for for fifteen to twenty dollars and the wine tasted really good, uh, it would sell you to Bordeaux. You could uh, then, as you uh, got a little older, as you maybe as your income got a little larger, you could certainly invest into this kind of wine. But there has to be that first step. Yeah. And unfortunately, I, I think the, the the profit element, and or as you say, uh, uh, you know, the wines probably tasted better there because you were on vacation and uh, maybe having the food that's appropriate, uh, an appropriate match to the wines. Right. Yes. That that's a big piece, Marla. I, I was just going to say really quickly too that one of the things we've really uh, tried to point out to our our consumers is that the the second tier of Bordeaux is actually getting fabulous ratings. They're really well priced. And in comparison to the California wines that are becoming more and more expensive, you have more and more cult California wines. They're really a deal. And, uh, you know, it's stylistically, you know, there will be a little different. But, uh, you know, again, experiment, try it. And, and we really try to encourage our customers to to grab some of those. Absolutely. And there's... They'll age better. <laughs> and we're going to talk about aging uh, in, a, in a little bit right here because that is a whole other topic. I feel like folks have uh, a lot of uh, misconceptions around that as well. But we're going to take a short break. Uh, if you're just tuning in, or I hope you're really enjoying this conversation. We're here with Michelle Thibault and Marla Norman. And they are uh, with michellethibaultwine.com and travel curious often. We're going to take a short break and hear from some announcements and be right back. All right, we are back, and this is Co-op Radio. You're listening to Another Bottle Down. Uh, my name is Mark Grayshap, and please follow along on the Co-op webpage, koop.org, and social media, too. I, I always, uh, I'll post some pictures of uh, my guests here in the studio, and we're having a great time. We're talking about French wine. Uh, I'm here with Michel Thibault and, uh, and Marla Norman. So uh, the website is Michel Thibault. Thibaultwine.com. Uh, That's M-I-C-H-E. Um, I, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> M- Michelle, would you like to... Uh, C-H-E-L-T-H-I-B-A-U-L-T. Wine.com. Correct. All right. Excellent. Um Wonderful live radio, folks. This is uh, it's it's super fun. Mark, um, yes. Over, over the break, uh, Michelle and I were talking about you know France being old school versus California, and uh, actually when we tour the the different vineyards and wineries, we see all kinds of high tech in France. I'm talking about. Uh, they've got laser scanners. They have laboratories where they're doing all kinds of analysis. Um, I mean, you have to imagine that some of the vineyards are owned by Louis Vuitton and and uh, AXA. And, I mean, these are these guys have plenty of uh, resources. Resources. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so you know, there's no lack of technology. And interestingly, too, when we were in California recently, one of the big trends is dry farming, and uh, because. Obviously, it conserves water, it helps the roots grow, and they've been doing that in France for centuries, and uh, 
and nobody nobody irrigates there. In fact, it's against the law. You can't. But right. but they do it for it's uh, for good reason because it helps develop the the root growth of of the vines. Yeah, um, yeah. So that can we talk about that as far as the the rules and uh, and and are they just rules for rules' sake or do they actually have uh, you know, yeah. real value to the end customer, and uh, and and is it so difficult to to maneuver all these rules? And on on the customer basis, do we even really need to concern ourselves with them? Well, I mean, there, there are a lot of rules, and and uh, you know, the French are kings about uh, rules and laws. <laughs> There's quite a few too many, probably. But certainly, uh, uh, in Bordeaux, for example, it, it uh, you don't n need to worry about. Uh, uh, Irrigation because it rains plenty. Right. Uh, there are just very few vintages where where there's a shortage of water, and and the water table is uh, high enough to where uh, the roots uh, of the vines will will find the water regardless, as long as they are mature uh, vines, of course. But uh, um, in terms of uh, other rules, um, yeah, there are there are generally too probably too many rules involved. Uh, what do you think, Marla? In France. Well, you know, again, I, I think some of the rules are based on this, you know, hundreds and hundreds years history of of cultivation, and so they're, you know, in place to try to help growers. Um, you I mean, you also have rules, for example, where some you of cannot it's buy bureaucratic, but yeah. that's a whole different. In Bordeaux, subject. you cannot buy wine from the property, for example. You know, so so that is a rule that exists mm -hmm. there for a long time, where essentially. Uh, the chateau sells its wine through a courtier, and the courtier sells the wine through a negociant, and the negociant sells the wine to importers. So so, that's a particular structure in Bordeaux, um, right. and and we're gonna we're gonna talk more about that. I want to develop that thought pretty well because it's very interesting. But I also want to uh, mention this idea that maybe there are rules because the concept of the appellation is so strong, right? That this right. concept is if you buy a wine from a certain region like Saint-Emilion, you want to be guaranteed there is that, that level of quality or that expected character uh, from that appellation. Do you, now, do, now, sometimes I feel like the appellation is so strong that consumers Consumers don't even know the producer, as in a lot of people know. Okay, Centimillion, but I don't. I like Centimillion, but I don't know the producers that I like. Is that right. is that something that's uh, good or bad? Well, it, uh, generally, I mean, the, the fact that the rules are tough, they are uh, are good, because uh, if nothing else, you've got different levels, and you know, the, uh, beyond the, the Centimillion appellation, the next appellation up is Centimillion Grand Cru. Well, uh, while it sounds good to people, Grand Cru has a big name. It's essentially the second quality level, and and uh, Saint-Emilion Grand Cru uh, should not cost a fortune. And there is Saint-Emilion Grand Cru Classé, the next level up, and, and there are stringent laws as for for the for the uh, for these wines. And then there's a Premier Cru A and B, and and. Uh, you um, you yourself uh, um, may not notice what's going on on the label, but uh, when you're there, when you're in Saint-Emilion and you see the location of all the, the uh, Cru Classé, you can tell. You can tell right. that 
you can tell that there they're on, on the flank of the hill, that uh, they have excellent drainage, that they have, uh, have the southeast exposure that they need to. And you can tell that these other ones are going to get the great ratings. Right, right. How, how important to you are ratings in the press versus your own taste and uh, your own opinions? I mean, you go to Bordeaux to taste these wines, but then on your, on your website, uh, you do have as well a particular category for top wines or 100-point wines or, or top-rated right. wines. That must be something difficult because you have your own opinions, but the public does gravitate to scores, right? Sure. right? Well, I mean, the ratings are important, and these people, you know, we, we all like to, to make fun of them, to say, oh, you know, this guy overrates or whatever. But um, but their reputation is on is on the line, so so their ratings are important. Uh, they uh, they are all um, they have their own personal likes. I mean, you know, we 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 know what a Parker wine is like. So uh, um, so th- those ratings are guiding uh, guiding lights for us. Now, do we do I live and die by the rating? Personally, no, because see, there are some wines that I enjoy that I, I saw get terrible ratings. Um, on, you know, so so you, you have to use that as a, as a tool. The, the the big problem with ratings right now is the fact that um, so many wines get good ratings. Uh, I was just speaking to a negociant this morning, and uh, and he was saying, uh, "Well, this one's going to be two hundred dollars, but he's going to get ninety seven points." And I said, ninety seven points. Every bro- every wine and his brother has ninety seven <laughs> points now, and that's the unfortunate part. Yeah. Before we um, before we kind of dig into how the the sales infrastructure of Bordeaux is unique and through this tier of negociant and courtier and uh, all of these interesting infrastructures, uh, what other areas of France are you really interested in? I know you mentioned that you bring uh, folks to Champagne as well. Can you tell us about the the treasures of Champagne? I, I think that it's a, it's a, well, there's well, treasures, right? Well, Champagne, well, we take clients to Champagne, to Burgundy, and to Provence. Uh, mm. So uh, Provence uh, for us includes uh, uh, the wines, uh, the, obviously the rosé wines are popular now, uh, all the way down to the Riviera with Cassis, and then uh, all the way up to uh, the Chateau du Paperia with Beaucastel. Uh, uh, but uh, Champagne and Burgundy are also uh, of extreme interest to us, uh, champagne, uh, w- you know, we love the wine. I mean, uh, you know, we love the wine just because of what it means to us. We we love to celebrate, so so champagne is <laughs> important. And then uh, the, the 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 quality about champagne to us is that so many people make so many different wines again. And you you, you know you have a tendency. People would have a tendency to believe that all champagnes are made pretty much the same way. Not at all. Right. Uh, we we uh, uh, we we stay at uh, a property called Celos S E L O S S E, and the guy is kind of a he is a maverick producer, and uh, um, it's just incredible an incredible experience because he uh, will tell you his winery is a lab, and sometimes he makes terrible wines, and sometimes they're the very <laughs> best in the world. And then, but then in Champagne, we talked about blending in in Bordeaux or so, but but in Champagne, it's it's an incredible thing as far as the complexity of how to make the wine, right? It it, it really is. It, uh, it's a uh, um, first, you know, they 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 battle the weather there. I mean, right. uh, it's a uh, it's extremely uh, northern Appalachian. And and uh, so the the fragrance, the, uh, the 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 blend between the, the three varietals or two varietals, depending on what you use, and, and then the the modern uh, 
version of things now because of the kids of the producers from 20 years ago want to make more round and ripe wines, you know, more, uh, and not really the way um, it was done a few years back. So all that is, is really an interesting mix in Champagne right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Marla, you seem to really, really enjoy uh, Champagne. And it's also not, you know, one of the things that I focus on is uh, that it, there's so much more diversity other than just the brand, which the producers really try to, you know, really put in the in the in the front of the public's mind of oh, brand, brand, brand. That's uh, what matters. Loyalty. Bollinger and Vauclico and right. that kind of thing. Yeah, and there are, that's one of the things we try to introduce our customers to is some of the smaller, more boutique kinds of property. I got, I mean, Solon is one example, very high end, but uh, right. that that's a real thrill. And then the other thing, uh, we also go into Cremant, which is adjacent to Champagne, mm. and you have, you know, uh, wines produced in the Chapinois method, but uh, it's not Champagne. So they're even though interestingly the vineyards can sell their grapes into Champagne, they themselves can't make a wine labeled Champagne. So you get a great value, um, and we actually sell a lot of of uh, or offer a lot of uh, Cremant as well on our site. So. Yeah. So that um, so Cremant just to give folks a, a, an idea, Cremant is sparkling wine from France that is just not from the Champagne region. And then you'll often see Cremant de Bourgogne or Cremant this or that, Cremant de Loire, Cremant de Bordeaux. There's Cremant produced in Bordeaux, in Alsace, in Loire, in Bourgogne, so a little bit everywhere. And and the wines are, um, like Marla says, they're half the price. And if you find a good producer, um, you've got a wine that's as excellent as any Champagne. Right. If you're just tuning in, my name is Mark Grayshop. This is Another Bottle Down, and we're talking with Michelle Thibault and Marla Norman, husband-wife uh, duo of uh, michelletheboutwine.com, and they do a lot of travel to wine country and, uh, and just are so knowledgeable on what's going on in French wine. Uh, before we continue our conversation, I'd like to tell everybody that support for co-op comes from Lincoln Pin Gallery presenting Verstehen, Understanding a Multimedia Performance Series and Gallery Exhibit, taking place through Sunday, July 30th. Reception and artist Q&A, Friday, July 14th from 5.30 to 8 p.m. Regular gallery hours are 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Lincoln Pin is located at 2235 East 6th Street, Suite 102. More information is available at linkpinart.com. Well, let's, um, I'd really like to talk more about, um, about why the, the Bordeaux wine market is so kind of wacky and wild and how you've uh, really tapped into this and uh, you attend f- the, the On Premier campaign and we'll talk about what that is and you sell, you, you, you sell wine On Premier, which is before it arrives in the U.S. Can you tell us about how, what this infrastructure is like? Well, well, the first you know the first thing to understand is that uh, Bordeaux wines for 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 hundreds of years have been the standard, uh, uh, both in terms of value and quality, for other wine uh, other wine regions in the world. So, um, as a result, uh, you know you remember there was a classification. Uh, of, uh, based on quality level, and there is one not only in the Medoc but in the Saint-Emilion area as well. 
And so, um, so therefore, the structure was established there. Uh, based on that, there is a, there's been demand throughout the world because some of these wines, I mean, you can talk about a, a bottle of 1947 Petrus costing tens of thousands of dollars. So, so these wines are, have become interesting to people who uh, want to invest in them, uh, either to, um, to to collect or to or to resale or for whatever purpose they have. Therefore, the the imprimeur system was, was born to to end satisfy these people and to provide uh, cash to to the growers, um, you know, ahead of the bottling time. Yeah, and then. In today's day and age, how does it um, how does it basically go down? I mean, the the because it's it's very complicated. The 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 structure has many kind of middlemen, but they're all to ensure that uh, that that the whole system is in place and that everybody uh, gets their allocation and right. and and that the wine gets distributed around the world, right? So the logistics is that the um, is that a, a chateau. Uh, uh, let's say, that produces 100,000 cases, will probably release about 40,000 cases at Emprimeur. The, uh, it'll be uh, sold through different regions like Asia, uh, the UK. Even before uh, the wine is uh, bottled. Even before the wine is bottled. The wine has been sampled uh, first by the uh, Parkers of the world. Yeah. Uh, so then the, the wine is... Uh, um, is uh, is released at a at a certain price, at a certain price, and it's it's almost like debutants coming out. So, you know, you have a <laughs> you have a system where if you're if you own Chateau La Conseillante, and you're um, and you think that your value is the same as Chateau Figeac uh, because of the similar qualities of the, the over the certainly over the recent vintages. Then you hope that Chateau Fijac comes out before you with their <laughs> pricing to where you can adapt your own price. Mm. Because I mean, if you make a mistake and your your wine and, and all this stuff happens usually around mid-May through the end of June uh, every year. So then, if you you come out with a uh, if you come out with a price too early, and then you see your competition is able to sell their wines uh, uh, 21 days later. For thirty euros more a bottle, and you have uh, two hundred thousand bottles, <laughs> that hurts. Mm. So it's it's really uh, it's extremely competitive. It's a it's extremely uh, dangerous. The quality for the consumer is that you're able to buy wine en primeur uh, as in futures, and you're able to lock it in. The wine is yours. So. Uh, so, uh, reg- uh, um, and usually the price is usually, now I say usually because normally the price increases year after year, so you were able to lock in on, on the wine and lock in at the best price. Right. The, the, the thought is, is that the, that first offering is going to be the best right. price. Right. However, uh, um, in some years, either due to, uh, uh, to uh, uh, maybe a quality that was not so great or maybe a uh, where the, the wines were overrated, or uh, as in has been going on the past few years, the euro dollar uh, uh, um, has changed enormously to where, for example, if you bought the 2010 vintage, unfortunately you bought it at a, a, a dollar was a, a, a euro was worth a dollar forty. 
Now it's a dollar fifteen, so you've lost twenty cents already or so. So, so the it, it is like a stock market, if you will. The uh, certainly the, the the one best quality is that you can, by going to the, the imprimeur, you go going to taste the wine, so you can formulate your own opinion, and you can lock in your purchase. You can get a wine that may not be available later on. Right, right. So that that locking in the price and also locking in that you're going to actually be guaranteed the right. wine. Right. right. So you said a chateau might uh, only offer about 40% or so. Then what do they do with the rest? They well, sit on the rest? So they, they generally they'll, uh, they'll keep about 10 to 15% for themselves for wine dinners, uh, donations to charity, uh, family, uh, um, and also exchange. They... Uh, Chateau Margaux may trade with the Harlan in California. They may send them two cases and get two cases Harlan. That's the way it goes. But uh, the, usually the, um, a year and a half after the original imprimeur tasting, uh, first uh, uh, notes are given, ra- uh, ratings are given. Right, uh, imprimeur. Right. So uh, when they're given imprimeur, they'll give them a low and a high note. So, for example, it'll be 94 to 97 the figures the wine will be v- worth in between somewhere. And that's because they don't know what the quality of the final wine after it gets out of the barrel of course, is. Right. Of course. So, so, uh, so the rating will be as such, and then a year and a half later, usually in January, the final rating will come out. Mm. So, then, uh, so at that point, the winery, if the, rating, if the final rating proves to be excellent, the winery will release another 40% at a higher price, what they call they call that second tranche uh, pricing, so then they'll uh, it'll be released at fifteen or twenty percent, whatever the market can bear. I mean, they're they're you know they're trying to get do the best they can. If the the if the rating has not improved, they will re- they will also uh, uh, open it for sale but probably at the same price as it was offered at first. Right, and also, is it possible for the, the winery to offer to buy back any sort of futures that they offered uh, or sold on the first tranche, or is, is there some trading going on if the final uh, score is a lot higher than expected? Yeah, they, they, they can. Uh, generally, it doesn't happen because, I mean, uh, if, you, um, you know, if you bought a wine and... Uh, the rate, original rating was were 96 to 98, and now the wine is rated 100. 100 right. Uh, who's going to want to sell that? Right. right, right. You know, so generally, uh, um, no, generally they, they can't. Uh, um, the wines are already gone. Yeah, and then and then uh, when the wines are bottled and they're released, it just gets distributed to all of their their commitments from around the world. Is that they right? They are. They are, and and usually, so you're you're dealing with a, a two years later. For example, right now. The, the last campaign uh, Marla and I attended was the 2016s, which uh, uh, we went to, the, it's always the first week of April, so we went to all the properties. We probably tasted uh, 800 wines in a week. Wow. Uh, and, and all the top merchants in the U.S. go, uh, you know, Sokolin, K&L, Zaki's, you know, this Misa here in, in Texas. So everyone goes and, and, and samples uh, the, the, the quality the pricing and the offers come out uh, generally a month later, and the wines uh, actually are shipped two years later. Wow. So we will receive, uh, next spring, we'll receive all our 2015s. And, um, and then these wines, most of them can age for 20, 30 years. Is, 
how much do you think about aging when you write to your customer list? Uh, are you are you giving recommendations as to when to open? I think that a lot of customers and, and even collectors in Austin, they're almost worried. Oh, do I open this too soon? Do I open this too late? Um, you know, and that that is a tricky target to to. It, it's it really is, and, and you know, you know, in the end, it's it's obviously up to you. Right. Uh, you know, because uh, um, your your own particular taste is is what matters the most. But but these wines are generally made. You know, the the, the less complex wines. Let's say you're looking at a 2010 wine right now. The less complex wines are ready to drink now. Right. They're um, they're they they have some depth. The uh, they're, uh, they're, they've already matured some. The tannins are well integrated. So you, you're talking about the wines that are already give you a lot of pleasure. The the more complex wines probably haven't opened up yet. So so you're generally talking about uh, uh, for those wines maybe seven to twelve, fifteen years. The uh, the wines that uh, that are um, that come from properties where the subsoil is, uh, you know, has a lot of minerals. Where it, it takes, uh, it takes a lot longer for the wine to develop. Then you're looking more like a, a 10 to 25 years. Generally, that's, you know, after that, it, it, it's a personal taste. Um, you know, the, the Brits love wines that you know um, that most of the rest of the world think are dead. Right, right. The, the Americans generally love wine that um, the rest of the world think are too, too young. Too young. So it's it's just a matter of you know where you are personally, uh, um, you know. For us, you know, the the, the quality of our business, uh, of Marlin and us business, is that we know all our customers, mm-hmm. <laughs> and since we know them, we've we've over the years now, we know what they like, and we know what they like. We know one guy st- uh, tells me he says uh, he doesn't want to drink a wine that's ten uh, 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 ten years or younger. He says, "I don't eat green bananas," <laughs> <laughs> and so so we know that for him, you know, uh, we'll go to, to towards some older vintage wines. Right. That uh, and but the uh, the official word of here on another bottle down is to not stress about it. Right. <laughs> don't stress about it. Right. You know, drink drink what you like. Huh? Uh, you yeah. Know, we 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 drink daily, so uh, obviously we. We have a pretty good idea what uh, what makes sense, you know. Well, so one of the interesting things that I I find about your site is that there are a lot of uh, older vintages offered, which is. Uh, somewhat different from when you go to a retail store and you look on the shelf and there's, you know, they're mostly current vintages and the right. retailer wants it that way because they, they don't want the, the customer to think, oh, all of their wine is old and past its prime. Uh, you have the opportunity to to be um, highlighting older vintages that might be, you know, a, a, something unique for people that they don't normally see. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, when I was in retail, my big battle was uh, to tell clients that, no, this uh, this wine from 1998 is not it's, bad. Right. And, and <laughs> often, uh, you know, I would get people come back and bring me a $100 bottle of wine back and say, you know, they look at the cork is, uh, um, you know, it's broken. And I said, and I said well, you know, I, uh, won't you just... Uh, um, filter the wine through a little co- coffee filter and see if you can taste it because actually uh, this, the likelihood of this wine being excellent is there. Yeah. So so it, there's this misconception uh, of of wines being uh, going bad quickly. There's certainly you know there you know as you well know there there's a uh, um, it's like people you know you get to a certain level in in life where you lose some of your 
uh, muscle tone uh, and where, where your age shows in a way. But then the, the other quality of uh, older people, for example, is that you've got this maturity that 30-year-olds don't have. So, so you, in wine, it's, it's, it's a parallel statement where uh, you have experienced some losses and some gains. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's a matter again what you what you are what you like. Yeah, and and how would you somebody who doesn't even have a clue as to how that goes down? Well, do you try some younger wines? Do you try some older wines? I mean, how do you you know do you do you find uh, do you do you read? Uh, there's no real replacement for actually tasting the wines. Well, right? that's it. So so we you know if if we have a new client, we'll say you know why don't we put together a mixed case for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we always like to try to to spend a little less money because you know to to show that we're actually interested in in, in the customer's well-being, and then try to do some wine from different regions, maybe from a from a Piedmont, right? Uh, uh, from the Rhone Valley, um, uh, or you know from um, from Sonoma, wherever. And then we and then uh, um, please let us know. Uh, what you liked in there, yeah. you know, and then some different age. Uh, um, you know, so, so we'll find out. For example, the guy like say uh, an 08 Bordeaux. Well, that don't tell me. Uh, that, it tells that, you a lot. It right? tells me yeah. everything. It's like a, it's almost like a social worker. You know, you from listening to them talk. What does that tell you? So, just to give folks what's going on, can you can you kind of vocalize what's going on in your head when somebody tells you something like that? Well, okay. So I'm looking at an 08 or 04 or 01. So you're looking at vintages that were kind of medium in body, so not too much sun, medium in alcohol, uh, where the wines are softer now, they're round, they're smooth, and, and, um, and if they're well made, they're, they're ready to drink now. Yeah, whereas if they came back at you and said, hey, this 2014 uh, was, was more my cup so, of tea. So, so 2014, so when, when Marla and I went to the taste in Futures in 2014, we could not drink the wines. They were so hard. They were so incredibly tannic. We could not drink the wines. They were uh, so you could tell. Uh, I mean, this is again another similarity. But you could tell this is like a young quarterback and tell that the talent is there. Right. But not today. Not right. tomorrow. A long time from now. So essentially, the uh, um, and the fifteens were exactly the opposite. The fifteens were the opposite. So. We were just astounded at how well they were drinking already baby, baby wines from Bordeaux. So. Which And both of those vintages are extremely acclaimed uh, mm-hmm. as far as what, what, what the press was saying about them. They are, but the, the, 15, the 15 was the first to me in Bordeaux were uh, you know, soft and round from the beginning. Uh, um, if, if there's any uh, criticism, it's too many people made the same wine, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, but that's more for, but, uh, you know, uh, that's maybe more for the collectors outside, but from a, a, a pleasure point of view, the 15s were just fabulous, Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. Well, wonderful. Yeah, Marla. I, I was just going to say quickly, too, one of the joys of buying it on Premier is, you know, you get to follow the the whole aging process. You buy a case or two cases and you sample the wine, you know, two years after you've had it, then another two or, um, right. you know, and you can kind of watch the evolution of, of this particular vintage. And it's, it's part of it's one of the fun things in wine. And it's not just watch the evolution, but it's evolve with it because you're yeah. ever changing yeah. as well. You know, I mean, right. that's. 
Absolutely. That's to yeah. me one of the beauties. I have the the five or ten wineries that, uh, and particularly in Bordeaux, that I have in my cellar that I you know kind of age with and 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 have an intimate relationship mm -hmm. with with those wineries that kind of touch some part of my heart. Right. You know, sure. and your sure. your palate changes as you age as right. well. It's uh, amazing to me the wines that I loved you know a few years ago that I. Yeah. So crazy about that. Uh, and sometimes that's a little bit frustrating because it's like, you know, my first love of the Priorat in 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 Spain, uh, which are just such powerful wines. Now, uh, you know, I I'm almost critical of those wines for having right. a little bit too much alcohol right. and uh and, and a, a lot little, of different reasons. They're a little more nuanced. A little, right? Yeah. right. It's really interesting to follow those wineries. Uh, you know, we we um we often go to Ponte Canet. Mm -hmm. uh, Ponte Canet, you know, was a Traditionally, in Poyac, is was traditionally uh, until 2005 was a very average fifth growth. You know, it was a 25 to 30 dollar wine. Well, the uh, uh, so Mr. Tesseron, who is well known to make one of the best cognacs in the world too, uh, um, started uh, um, being interested in biodynamic viticulture. So um, he uh, he worked from 05, and you know it takes three years to be certified uh, Demeter. So um, in biodynamics, in and that's, biodynamics, that's, that's the overarching certification body. Correct. Excuse me. So anyway, so in uh, uh, 07, when it was going to be uh, up for certification, um, you know, the weather was terrible in, in Bordeaux in 07. It rained constantly. Uh, there was fear of mildew or odium. So he ended up spraying. He didn't want to lose his his uh, his, uh, um, his vineyard, his, his vineyard, crop, his, yeah. his complete crop. But he was so dedicated to and understanding the, the value of this, uh, of this idea of, of biodynamic that he um, started again in 08. And uh, of course, he got certified in 10. And in 09 and 10, he, he got 100 points on both of those, those. And now he's constantly 99 to 100 point uh, wine. Yeah. And so the it shows that of, dedication, right? So it shows the dedication, shows uh, you know, the, dynamic, the biodynamic aspect. But... Uh, we asked him, Marlena asked him, we said, you know, uh, um, what is, you know, uh, I mean, are you sure that biodynamic work? He says, well, <laughs> even if it doesn't work, he says, he says, you know, what is, what's happened to us is we're so fearful of, of, of diseases and, and whatnot that instead of spending 30 hours a week in a vineyard, we spend 60. And he says, so even if there's no other quality to it, uh, you know, we have a better vineyard now because of our labor. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, I want to savor that moment because that's a great story. Um, we're going to take one last short break. We've got about uh, four minutes left in the show in this hour, and uh, we'll be right back. If you're just joining us, my name is Mark Reshep. This is Another Bottle Down where we talk about wine and the wine industry, and we're here with Michelle Thibault and Marla Norman. So we'll be right back, folks. <laughs> All right, we're 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 having fun here in the studio. This is another bottle down. Uh, we're with Michelle Thibault and Marla Norman, and they have uh, the online retailer website uh, michellethibaultwine.com and the travel website travelcuriousoften.com. Um, we just have a, a few more minutes left in the show, and um, you know, I I I, I like to hear. Uh, maybe some last thoughts on what you're most excited about in the wine industry. I know that you know we tr we travel a lot. Um, you have your heart and your and your finger on the pulse of Bordeaux. 
Um, is there anything off the beaten path that we wouldn't expect that you're really excited about? I mean, you you you, you have some uh, older older California wine on the website. Is that something that we're not thinking enough about that California wine can age as well? Okay, well, I threw uh, a lot at you there. Well, that's the last question. <laughs> California wines can age uh, yeah. amazing. And, you know, uh, um, a couple of years ago, I was offered a um, magnum of uh, 1969 Heights. Oh. And the wine uh, was as fresh as if he had just come and out. You just uh, opened uh, it recently, yeah. It was uh, just a couple of years ago. So, uh, 1969. So, th- think about it. It's. Uh, 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 you know, we talk about Bordeaux, but uh, I'm totally in love with many of the California wineries. Uh, uh, I remember with fondness the, the Mondavis of the 90s, you know, uh, w- which were amazing. Uh, some of the 85 ca- uh, vintage California wines. But uh, what personally, what marks me as far as wine and, and, and going to Bordeaux is uh, uh, um, we, through our travel, uh, we've uh, um, got to meet incredible people. And, and these people all have a different story to tell, but uh, their dedication, their, their work, their, I'm thinking about this guy, Patrice Levesque at the Chateau Bardot, who uh, his wife says he's only happy on his tractor. <laughs> and, and it's, you know, so I, I think people like that are quite amazing, Ronald Laborde. And we, we had just did a dinner with Chateau Angelus a few months ago, and so we brought this guy, uh, Jean-Bernard Grenier, the owner. It's, it's the first growth now. Huh? So we brought him to do a dinner uh, here in Texas and one in Louisiana. Took him to New Orleans, had uh, lunch with him at Commander's Palace. I mean, uh, it's, it's a yeah. fabulous, I think it's a fabulous experience for both producers and our customers and us in between. Well, thank you so much. We've, we've run out of time. Uh, this has been wonderful. Uh, you'll be able to catch uh, the podcast uh, at www.koop.org slash another bottle down. We're out of time. Thank you, Michelle and Marla uh, from michelletibowine.com. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Mark. And we'll see you next week, folks, with more talk about wine and the wine industry.